kinds of symbology. What is at stake? It is a big idea. A new world order where diverse nations are drawn together in common cause to achieve the universal aspirations of mankind. My question to you is, in any of your government jobs, have you ever been briefed on the subject of UFOs? And if you have, when was it? What were you told? Well, if I had been briefed on that, I'm sure it was probably classified and I couldn't talk about it. When I got out in 1989, we had cataloged 57 different species. We walked over to one side of the lab and he said, by the way, we've discovered a base. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Greetings and salutations to all my fellow sky watchers from all corners of this beautiful blue globe. We're back live once again on this beautiful evening, July 15th, 2015, broadcasting from New Logic Studios in Miami, Florida. I am Angel Espino, and with me as usual is my hetero radio life mate over here, the other guy, better known as Alan Weiler. What's up, buddy? How are you doing tonight? Not much. I'm doing amazingly amazing. Amazingly uh, you know, amazing. Just looking at the photos from Pluto. Yeah, I'm excited. We got photos from Pluto, and it's not those Photoshop Death Star ones that I'm seeing on Facebook. Those are good. Uh, guys, we're going to uh, have a, a really incredible show tonight. <laughs> That's an Pluto, understatement. Pluto plays a huge part of what we're going to talk about tonight with our guest. Now, this is something that just happened uh, you know, right off uh, maybe 20, 30 minutes ago. We were able to uh, get these guests locked in for the show tonight, and it's so exciting to have them on. Richard C. Hoagland is going to be with us, folks. Richard C. Hoagland from EnterpriseMission.com. The only. And not only, right. is, not only is he going to be on with us, Keith Linne is going to be on also with us. And like I said, we're going to be talking about Pluto. And there's a lot going on with this photo that just surfaced of the planet toy, the uh, small planet. I don't know what they're going to call it now, Alan. What, what is the, the definition? Do we see thing? something that shouldn't be there? Maybe. Do we? Do we see something that shouldn't be there? <laughs> I'm excited. I am crazily excited to have uh, these two gentlemen on. And, you know, having Richard C. Hoagland on this show, Alan, is kind of like going full circle in a way. And here's why. Oh, I've, how do you figure? I've spoken to Richard before. I've actually uh, oh. gotten the chance to uh, to speak to this man, and he probably does not remember him. He's an important person. You know, he's done a lot of radio shows over the years, and probably does not remember me at all. But he was a guest on a show that I was good friends with the host. And in fact, we've mentioned the show recently a lot. Funny enough, I'm going to invite. Okay. Jesse on because of this, uh, but he was a guest on uh, Euphonaut Radio with uh, Jesse Randolph a few years ago, and uh, right. let me tell you something, it was just an amazing, an amazing uh, episode, he was fantastic on the show, Jesse is a great host, and that was a great episode, but I got to call in, and I got to speak to Richard Hoagland, and that in itself was just awesome, you know, and I got to speak to him for, a, you know, just a few seconds, I got to ask him a question, and kind of uh, give him a big old pat in the, in the back for all his work he's done over the years, and and he's done a lot oh, of I stuff. Oh, I thought you asked him a question. He ignored you, like we all do. No, only you ignore me. Oh, oh, it's only, only me. Only you I do I feel that. so special. 
Only because well, you deserve it. Well, only you say that. And a few people on Twitter. All right. Fine. Hey, guys, how are you doing on Twitter? Yeah, just a few people. <laughs> just a few people. By the way, please follow right. us on Twitter at Skywatchers Show. That's the best way to get any news from the show right off the Twitter page. You could also download the podcast every week for free on skywatchersradio.com. And it's updated pretty quickly. In fact, after this episode air is finished tonight, it'll probably be up there in about 15 minutes. So it's, uh, it's a pretty quick uh, job to get all the podcast up there. And uh, this is going to be a great one. It really is. Now, we're, gonna, we're not going to do a lot of the stuff now, we normally on, do on the show, Hang on, hang on. I've got to ask a question. How Go far into the show are we going to start allowing callers to call in? Well, here's the thing. I'm, I was about to get to that. You kind of beat me to the punch okay. there. All right, this is All what right. we're going to do tonight. We're not going to do the typical stuff we do on the show, you know, which, of course, is Blast Through the A-Hole, and you know, we have a, a new segment in the beginning, like the Nancy Burns experience or the Tim Schwartz experience. or what we got to call – each one of our news guys has to have, like, their own little segment name, I think. Right? Okay. We'll, we'll figure that, out something cool. creative, but not tonight. Right, not tonight. Not tonight. Later on. But we're not going to do that tonight. What we're going to do is, in about 10 minutes, uh, we're going to go uh, right into our commercial break, and uh, we're going to bring on these two gentlemen, and they're going to join us for as long as possibly allowed by them. Uh, we're not going to have any breaks in between, which is very important. I want to get to that. I want to make sure everybody understands and stays glued to the uh, radio because there's not going to be any breaks. We're going to get to what's going on, the latest on uh, what's going on with Pluto, and they're going to have a, right here you know, the show to really, uh, you know, let's, let's really dissect what's happening. You know what I mean? And right. uh, we yeah. are going to allow callers. I know you're asking when we're going to allow people to call. You will be allowed to call in. If you guys want to call, the number, as always, is 786-245-8127. But don't call right away. First, let's have them on for at least, you know, 5, 10, 15, no, 20 but minutes. No, and... but those of you that are listening, by the way, those of you that are listening, do me a favor. Reach out to your friends and tell them that they want to listen in as well, too. I know Nancy and a couple of other people that actually work with us have already tweeted out and let people know that we've got Mr. Hoagland on. By the way, thanks, Nancy, for uh, all the help on Twitter there. She's always awesome, Nancy Burns. But Absolutely, yes. Guys, you are going to be allowed to call in. You know, We encourage the call-ins, but uh, please do that again after a little while, and in fact, we'll announce when you know we're, we'll have lines open for you guys uh, to call in. Um, but it's on screen, so please be polite, be nice, and by all means, Alan, what's the most important rule when calling into this show? Uh, say your name. No, no, that's no, that's not the most important rule. Oh. That's like rule number four. Okay. And the most important list. Okay, what's rule number one? I'm not sure. Tell me. Really? Remind me. Man. Really? You never, you never get this stuff right. Be absolutely fascinating. Yes. That's all we I'm ask. already amazingly amazing. Let everybody else be fascinating. Exactly. And uh, right. I I think it's going to be just a, a, an amazing show. They're on another shot at the word amazing there. Uh, it's going to be a great show, for, uh, really. <laughs> you know, but uh, look, Richard C. Hogan is somebody I've always wanted to have on this show. So oh, uh, yeah. him and Keith Lene is going to be just awesome having him on. And the picture that I saw of Pluto, let me tell you, just uh, before we go on break here in a few minutes and bring him on, uh, I saw the picture. It looks stunning. I mean, it does no, not it does. look at all. Look, it doesn't look like this little rock just hanging out there in the corner of space. It ain't uh, no Hubble telescope, right? No, 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 no. This is like a, a flyby, and he actually got a good photo of the thing. Yeah, this is nice. This is sharp. This is... Okay, imagine what they're releasing to the public. Imagine what they really actually have. 
Right, because I think, I think they only released maybe one photo, one official picture of the planet. Right? Well, I, think I don't it. know one, yet. Uh, maybe one or two, I don't know, but uh, I think there's only maybe a few pictures. They, I'm sure they have more pictures they're not showing us. A lot more. I mean, there's a lot more going on on this planet than I expected. There really is. It looks like there's kind of a hazy atmosphere going on there. I don't know if you yeah, it's messy. Right. Yeah. Something's going on geologically on this planet. And a lot of folks are saying that the planet's heating up from the core, that that's possibly what's causing uh, the, you know, the look that we have here on Pluto. Huh. Which is an that's interesting, interesting thought. If you think about it, we this planet's so far out, Alan, that it should be a, a, a rock of ice, really. I mean, it's that far out, it should just be ice. Well, right? it would only be ice if it has moisture to condense into ice. Right. It could just be a rock and just rock with nothing else, and right. then you wouldn't have any ice. So who knows? Well, for for it to look like this, that means something is going on there geologically that needs more uh, looking into. Well, I'm sure Mr. Hoagland will be happy to discuss that topic with us. That's exactly what we're going to do. Uh, guys, also, I want to get to this before we go on break. It's only a few days away, Alan. You know what's coming, right? The movie Ant-Man? Well, that too. But somebody a lot bigger than Ant-Man is coming back. Come on, play well, along with me. Not, not, a, not in a few days. That's in exactly one week from tonight. Correct. That's right, folks. Art Bell and is coming back to radio on the 20th. I am so excited. I, I, I am so excited about that. And, you know, it's, and we're going to be actually the show right before. Well, no, 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 no. Here's the thing. I get to kind of enjoy this before you do, Alan. And uh, the reason I say this is because the first show that is going to be airing before Art Bell's uh, new show, Midnight in the Desert, is Future Theater with Bill and Nancy Burns. And I, I produce their show. I'm the producer. So that's oh. the first show that's going to get to say, folks, stick around. Art Bell is next. So it's and not us? No, no. We're going to be third that gets to say it. Hey, but three is a good number, man. That's not a bad number. Aww, I thought we were going to be the first people to say, and now, since you've all been waiting for it, here's Art Bell. Maybe Bill will let me say it, and I'll say it first on their show. But I doubt that very much. I think Nancy's going to be like, no way, man. She's, so, I mean, so not having he it. Comes, he comes on, on the 22nd, correct? No, no, he, yeah, he comes on the 20th, the 21st, the 22nd, the 23rd, oh, the and the 24th. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. He's a week-long oh, I'm show. Sorry. I didn't know he was on the... Oh, I, I'm sorry, I didn't know that he was starting on Monday. I thought you, we, he was starting on Wednesday. Okay. No, 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 no. And uh, guess who is so going to be... So now I understand uh, why. Guess who's going to be doing the show following his show. I'm sure you haven't kept up with this news either. Mm, tell me who. The gentleman we're having on tonight, Richard C. Hoagland, man, you really need to start paying attention to Art Bell dot com. And he's got his, he's he's going to have a week, he's going to have a daily show as well behind Art. Yeah. By the way, something's happening weird with your Skype. Though. I don't know if you're looking at websites. Shut everything down. But yeah, his show is going to start off right after Art Bell's show, uh, Midnight in the Desert. Uh, once that ends, is going to be Richard Hoagland's show after midnight. So All I mean, right. that's. Going to be in. Look, I wish I could stay up that late. Oh my god, are you kidding me? I'm gonna have to like get a new job. I know. I, I, my, I, I, yeah, I'm gonna have to change my profession, my day, my day job, just to be able to stay up all night again. 
Because, <laughs> I mean, this is like well, too much hey, goodness on radio. I mean, Jesus. And it's all here on the Dark Matter Digital Network, guys. It's all here. Uh, but you know, also, if we, if we could make a living doing this, this would around this would be a great thing. Unfortunately, we're not just there yet. Uh, it would at least get you better internet so you don't sound like that tonight. Jeez. Breaking yeah, I'm in a hotel. I'm there. not at home right now. That explains it. I'm, I'm actually, uh, yeah, I'm cleaning up the applications as best as I can on my own screen. But um, yeah, I, I'm subject to the Wi-Fi in the hotel. Well, anyway, moving on, uh, guys. The reason I bring up ArtBell.com is because I want everybody to go there immediately and join Art's Time Travelers. You get your pass; it's five bucks a month. You join, and you get to hear all of Art Bell's shows from now until whenever you know the man is off air again, which we hope is never. But if, you know, eventually, sometime you will retire again, and you'll have all those archives at your disposal to be able to download and listen to whenever you want. So go to artbell.com, join the time travelers. You could also join the pass and get a pass for uh, Richard C. Hoagland's show. It's only a few bucks, guys. It's worth it. I've joined it. One day, Alan over here is going to pony up, and uh, he's going to join it. And uh, a lot of folks are joining it. It's, it's really, really blowing up right now. It's a blitz going on, Alan. You haven't paid attention, I know. But there's a huge campaign in support of this thing. So everybody, please go oh, to no, artbell.com. Yeah, exactly. Go to artbuilt.com and join the so, Sorry blitz. I've been on the road so long, you know. Yeah, sorry, I've been on the road. You definitely it's are It's all sorry. my fault. <laughs> Guys, we're going to be on uh, break for maybe a couple minutes here, but when we come back, though, epic. It's going to be an epic episode. Richard C. Hoagland and Keith Linnae is going to be on here with us. This is Skywatchers Radio. You're listening to right here on the Dark Matter Digital Network and, of course, PSN Radio. Please do stick around because we got a lot more show to go. We'll be right. This is James Swagger, host of Capricorn Radio. I'm also an author, engineer, and researcher. Capricorn Radio covers alternative history, alternative science, philosophy, and truth-oriented discussions. We are proud to be on the Dark Matter Radio Network live at 8 p.m. Saturdays, Eastern Standard Time. You can catch extra info on darkmatterradio.net, jameswagger.com for yours truly, CapricornMembers.com for the archives. Don't forget, truth is not democratic. Truth is truth. The UFO phenomenon, either we like it or not, is already very much part of our reality. I've been on panels with uh, military people who, you know, claim that they've seen the aliens buzzing our missile silos. They have very large eyes, and, you know, I found their stare extremely difficult to bear. This is Martin Willis, the host of Podcast UFO, and we are here on the Dark Matter Radio Network every Wednesday from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. 
It is my commitment to bring you an entertaining weekly show that takes a hard look at the UFO phenomena. Are they extraterrestrial? Well, are they interdimensional? Are they time travelers or something we have not even thought of yet? We explore these questions with interesting guests and witnesses from all around the globe. In addition, we bring you weekly UFO news with Open Minds TV, Alejandro Rojas. Thank you for listening, and remember, keep your eyes to the sky. Hi, this is Jeff Brady, host of In Other News, heard on Dark Matter Radio on Thursdays. In this strange period where free energy technology is weaponized, dissent is criminalized, and war economies flourish, the human family is being deliberately assaulted on multiple fronts in the food, air, water, and during sleep. Yet here we are with information at our fingertips, only to become a slave to the portable digital communication device. You know what you're really communicating. You're screaming to cell phone corporations, please put a chip in me. Past shows have looked at issues involving electromagnetic weapons, satellite stalking, RFID, orgone and organite, illegal fluoridated drinking water for infants, airport radiation scanners, secret societies, energy vampires, psychopathy, surveillance, sex trafficking, disaster capitalism. So tune in to In Other News, Thursdays on the Dark Matter Radio Network, the pioneers of overnight talk radio. Hello, my name is Howard Hughes, and I'm in London. And I've been proud to bear this name all my life. Over here in the UK, I'm known as a broadcast journalist. I've been involved in some of the big stories of our time. The fall of the Berlin Wall. The death of Princess Diana. I told London about that. And on the first and second anniversaries of 9-11, I was there at Ground Zero, speaking to the people who were directly involved and those experiences I will never forget. So news is my thing. But my great love is my show, the one that I produce. The Unexplained. Over the years on this show, I've spoken to people like the late Al Bielik from the Philadelphia Experiment, Edgar Mitchell, the amazing Apollo astronaut, Dr. Stephen Greer, David Icke, and Uri Geller. People like Richard C. Hoagland have become personal friends over the years. I met him in London. So you can see that these sort of topics are what I like to discuss. Please join me on my show from London, The Unexplained, Monday nights, on the Dark Matter Network. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application, Mobile Talk Radio. Imagine having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. You'll be surprised how easy it is to use. So I think what's going on here is that Obama is banking on unemployment falling. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store.
and we're back live on Skywatchers Radio. So, sorry, everybody, for the little extended commercial break there. A little music had to be played because something really interesting was going on behind the scenes, behind the show. But now we are live, and we have our guests of the evening uh, that are joining us for as long as they want to be here. Uh, this is just a, a pleasure having these two gentlemen on. Uh, Mr. Richard C. Hoagland is joining us along with Keith Linnae. And uh, Richard, of course, needs no introduction, EnterpriseMission.com. Of course, he worked with NASA as a consultant, uh, worked with Walter Cronkite and CBS News for over 20 years. I mean, this gentleman is one of the leading researchers on everything that has to do with Mars. And really, if you haven't been to EnterpriseMission.com, then you're not a fan of ufology. You don't follow this subject. But it is such an honor to have you two gentlemen on this show. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you. Mr. Hoagland, thank you so much for being on here with us. Is he still there? I think he might still be there. I hear breathing. He fainted from being on the show with us. I think that's what it was. I think um, I think that's what it was. Maybe it was a six-hour episode he just did last night on the network. Uh, that might be a possibility. <laughs> uh, unless, of course, he's got the mute button on. No, no, he says he just uh, texted me. He got cut off. He'll be right back with us. Uh, but it is an honor having both of you guys on. And I know that he just did a six-hour episode. He was, you know, we were chatting about that uh, during the break, Keith, and mm-hmm. um, talking about Pluto. Now, I saw the images of Pluto when they, they first aired the first image, and it blew my mind. I mean, this thing was just incredible. Uh, oh, I yes. know there's, there, there's been some uh, some new information that's come out there's more photos uh what do you got to tell us uh what's you know what's going on with uh, these pluto images and and we'll get richard on as soon as uh he's ready to come back on well you know first off the the actual feat of getting these images is is an amazing thing uh you know this is the furthest this is the furthest uh, planetary body in our solar system you know right before the kuiper belt where all the comets and all that stuff is and Correct. it's basi- it's basically its own little solar system. I mean, it has its own moons, uh, and it's uh, tidally locked. Well, not tidally locked. I guess you'd say it's kind of like a binary star system, like where you got one star revolves around the other. Well, it and its moon, uh, Karen, revolve okay, around each other. Okay, gentlemen, I'm back. And Richard C. Hoagland is finally on the air with us. Richard, thank you for being on the air Something with us. Something hiccup there. I don't know where you guys went, but it was another dimension. That happens. We are on the Dark Matter Digital Network. Sometimes we <laughs> yeah. slip right into other dimensions. It, it happens. It, it went dark for a second there. Yeah, <laughs> we it, tell dark. Keith to stop. You know, worrying about the in, incompatibility drive. He's got to set it down. You know, so it's steady. I will. I, I, I will it was message the improbability him. drive. Wait, 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 That's wait. what it is. The incompatib- <laughs> it's the improbability drive from. Yeah, but he has the incompatibility Dallas. version. So. You know. <laughs> I will message Lord Roland, and I'll let him know. Don't worry. We'll, we'll, okay. we'll give him the memo. <laughs> so, Keith, did you give a, a proper setup to what we're going to do tonight for a while? Yeah, I was just explaining a little bit about Pluto and, and you know, what an amazing thing it is that we even have these pictures. Uh, hey, look, and- uh, Richard, Keith, like I was telling Keith before you got back on the air with us, uh, the first image that, that I saw of this thing, of this planet, was just a, a mind-boggling. It was amazing. I mean, this was uh, – it blew my mind, really, how beautiful this thing was. Uh, now – there's more now, images, right? Are you There's talking a lot more. images that were released several days ago? Correct, yes. The, the, the color one that has that feature that they're calling the heart. Yes. Basic camera, yeah. Yeah, that one, that one came in late on Monday night, the 13th. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we swooped around the system around 7,700 miles above the surface of Pluto and then out into the Kuiper Belt for now months and years to come. 
and they took a whole bunch of data after that picture, and they released a close-up of, uh, of a region to the southern part of that heart-shaped feature on the wide angle. All of these images are over on EnterpriseMission.com, and they're also at HiddenMission.com, right, Keith? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, actually, I have those on KeithLaney.net. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Anyway, well, I'm, I'm running both sites, so. <laughs> the, 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 the close-up is just mind-boggling. Yes. Because if you, if you look at it with more than a casual glance, there's artificial structures down there. Okay, Huge. so it's not my imagination what I'm looking at there. No, <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Now, no. the, everybody, of course, is calling them mountains, and they're making a big deal about their you know, mountains on Pluto. How could they form if you have a small planet slash moonlet that doesn't have an internal energy source? How do you get mountains sticking up? They're saying some of these things are 11,000 feet high. Well, they're 12,000 feet wide, or no, I'm sorry, 12 miles wide, as I measured on some of the imagery, and if they're two miles high, that gives you a ratio of what two six to six to six to one, right? Okay, yep. so they're huge, shallow, pyramidal arcologies, gentlemen. Mm. Keith, do you agree? Yeah, they have them all over the planets. And they, really, they really do. Could I'm it, looking at it. Oh, my God. Could it be a these meth- guys, could it these be a guys, methane type of a growth? No, 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 no. Forget the methane and the nitrogen no, no. all that. That's, that's the mainstream assumption. Mm-hmm. Remember, we have in science something which is called um, your vision being model-driven. Meaning if Pareidolia. you only, if No, 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 no. <laughs> in other words, you have formed a model in your mind of what you expect to find. And for Pluto... Right. It's incredibly cold, incredibly dark. It's right. made of ices. There's a wisp of an atmosphere. Something is causing, you know, seasonal changes in the 248-year orbit as Pluto goes around the sun once. That's their mindset. The idea that they would look at this surface and they would see anything that's built by intelligence is inconceivable. So everything you're hearing in the press about the Pluto encounter is totally driven by a mainstream model that says this is a natural piece of ice melting in the sun and condensing in other places with snows of various ices on geology, period. And I took one look at this picture, Keith, and I'm sure you did the same thing, and I said, what the heck? Because it looks like the city structures at Sidonia on Mars, but in much better condition, much better mm-hmm. preserved. Right? Now, I'm looking at the image. I, I blew up the image, and Alan, I suggest you do this. Uh, take the one main image with the center part that looks like the heart they're, they're speaking about and really blow up the image, and you can definitely see artificial structures on this thing. You can see bridges on one side of it, which definitely look like a bridge connecting two well, different areas. When you areas. say a bridge, now keep in mind the scale of this. You're looking mm-hmm. at things that are hundreds That's of miles Huge, long. huge bridge, yes. Yeah, so you can't say it's a bridge. It is rectangular geometry. You don't know what mm. the damn thing is. Mm. Oh, People so have to get away. out. They have yep. to get out of the mindset that just because it looks familiar, that's what it is. No. Well, have to reduce... I mean, there is rectangular geometry in yes. geometry And all today. you can say at the moment is you're seeing geometry that doesn't belong there. And as Sagan said to me... Well, you don't know, know what the stone people, is made out of. Well, you don't even know that it's stone. Should True, probably give them another we image. Don't, we don't know what material... 
Exactly. I, I guess I guess the thing is we don't know what the image is made out Keith, of. Keith, do you not, see you know what the substance see, is? Do you see the two large objects kind of facing each other that look like they have ruffles or ridges on them? Down toward the corner of the image or up toward the corner, depending upon how you have it flipped. Are you talking about the same image. I'm looking I'm looking at the image that I have flipped around so that it's so that no, you're this actually is, this looking. is a super close up. Gentlemen, uh-huh. Is it the reverse up. side of the image? Look, I'm gonna link you guys so we can all be on the same page of the image I'm looking at. And on Skype here if uh, Don't forget Keith, to if you put it up so link. our listeners can listen to it. Well. Yeah what I'll do is I'm gonna tweet it also to all the listeners so uh, they can go ahead and uh, check out the image. This is the one I'm looking at. Please post the one you guys are looking at so we could all be on the same you know page here. Okay, okay, I'm looking at the photo reverse. Keith, why don't right. you direct them to where you have it on your website? That'll work too. Okay, I just <laughs> I just skyped it to him. Oh, okay, cool, cool. I haven't a clue how okay, to skype image. image. Yeah. Where are you saying we should be looking? Keith. Excuse me. You're okay, all, I got where the image. Where should we be looking? Here, I'm uh, gonna. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm yeah, I'm skyped gonna the, I skyped it to him. It's uh, keithlaney.net slash images slash Pluto. And uh, that opens up my Pluto uh, image directory, right? And uh, you can look at you can look at any of the photos that are in there. But that particular one is called Pluto One HR. I mean, they're that okay. I'm looking at it now. Where are you yeah. saying? Where are you calling out that interesting long rectangular? Oh, okay. Never mind. Exactly. <laughs> Just let them look. Are you talking about in the upper left-hand corner at this point that shows a massive shadow with it as well? Guys? Is that what you're talking about? Up toward the left (laughs) corner, up to the upper left corner, there is a large rectangular thing right below the shadow. I see exactly what you're talking about. Right, right. Right. That's what you're talking about, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay. You're going to have to give this link out to people on the air. So they can join us and look. Yeah, if anybody wants to check out the uh, the images, uh, just go to our Twitter account at Skywatchers Show, and it's going to be posted there right now, so everybody can uh, take a look at what we're looking at. If you guys want to go directly to the link, uh, it's very easily uh, well. It's KeithLenay.net forward slash images forward slash Pluto forward slash Pluto One HR dot JPEG or JPG, I and that will take you directly there. I- I think Keith pronounces his last name Laney. Laney? Yeah, yeah, I sure do. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm not offended. It's all right. <laughs> well, they've called me Angel, Angel on Hill. I'll be you back know. in a minute. All right. So See? if you go to Keith's link, mm-hmm. and I'm still wondering how people who are listening know where to go. <laughs> no, seriously, it's a huge problem. Where to? Where you know? Now, for instance, if you go to Enterprise. Go to EnterpriseMission.com and you click on the Pluto link on the index page. That will take you to the Pluto page, and there's a whole series of images listed on our Pluto page. Just scroll down and go to the close-up, the one that looks like it has mountains on it. They're not mountains. Well, I just tweeted out the image. I tweeted out the link, and I tweeted out the actual picture itself. That's uh, so a good who, idea. Yeah, so anybody who wants to see both is right on at Skywatchers Show, right on Twitter. This um, is Radio with Pictures. Radio with Pictures. And you know you know who made this very famous, of course? Art Bell. Well, Art and I did a whole bunch of this stuff back in the day when we were experimenting with how to use the net and, and the uh, active radio links at the same time. 
So exactly. anyway, in this picture, if you click on the picture that's on uh, Keith's site, hit Mission, mm-hmm. toward the bottom, Keith, do you see those two kind of separate sets of objects arranged down near the, the bottom corner? Near the bottom corner? Uh, yeah. Yes, I do see that. Okay. With the one with the hole in it? Yes. Yes. <laughs> if, you, if you look closely at, at, a, at a reasonably enhanced version, you can see regular ruffles on each of those objects and regular geometry, right-angle geometry, and a smooth reflective surface, and it looks as if they are, you know, partially collapsed, but mainly intact arcologies on the order of 12 miles long, each one of them, and maybe two miles high. And if you look, massives are all over. uh, You know, they're they're on the moon. There's one on Ceres. There's Mars. Yeah, and and normally you'd say, oh, those are just mountains. Except mountains don't have this kind of geometry attached. Correct. That's the key differentiator: the geometry. So, are we looking at that collection of objects, those massive objects, uh, above the two arcologies that I pointed out, Mm -hmm. above that flat space which surrounds them? Are we looking at a collection of objects in an oval that may be, what, 50, 60 miles long? And are those a series of arcologies all grouped together in one region on Pluto for some reason? Because if you look closely, there's geometry in that collection that does not belong in such a collection if it's just random tectonic forces. Right. Uh you know, one of the most geometric things I see in the uh, in the entire image. If you look on the, if you look toward the right side of the image, mm-hmm. uh, near near the middle of the right side, you'll see there's oh, just a at long, the edge there. There's an elliptical long black shadow area. If you see it, there. I see it. Yes. Okay. Well, right below that, uh, there's a ridge there that has some square, uh, yes, big yes, square exactly, block things all exactly. over it. You got it. That's more geometry that doesn't belong there. Uh, I mean, that, that to me, that's stunning. And again, the scale of that is about 12 miles long. So each of those indentations could be half a mile. Correct. The, yeah. the, the guys that we proposed that were in this solar system before us, that were behind what I have modeled as the Type Two civilization that redesigned and re rearranged the original solar system they built very very big they were massive the structures that we have seen all over the system are enormous they're mega structures and that's one of the things i think that has thrown off professionals even including archaeologists and anthropologists from recognizing what's on some of these images because the scale to them is impossible. So massive. Yeah, it's so massive. But if it, you understand... So when they say that giants walk to the Earth, um, is this what we're talking about? You're mm. thinking in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Very possible. Okay, keep going yeah, very then. possible. Here, and here's the thing, though, uh, Richard, and getting back to uh, the comment you just made about us in the past or the you know the previous civilization, uh, a lot of folks, of course, when they see any structure on one of, the, of these other planets, they immediately jump. Oh, these are the Greys. These are aliens. These are from outside. No, these are. This could be very well from Earth, past. You know, billions of years ago. This could be very well from us or the people that were on this solar system before there was even life on Earth in well, our own we, galaxy. We have found relics on the imagery from all space agencies, from 
all right. corners of the system now over 35, 40 years. Pluto is kind of icing on the cake. And the reason that we're seeing, Keith, I think things that are in much better preservation than in Sidonia is because of the inclination of Pluto to the general plane of the solar system. Pluto orbits in a very elliptical orbit. Yes, it does. At a high inclination of over 17 degrees, which means if all the other planets are confined to the surface of an LP record, Pluto's orbit cuts down through that record, that disk, at, 19, at uh, 17 degrees. So it spends most of its time in interplanetary space above and below the dust of the inner solar system, in right. which case it's subjected to far, far fewer impacts. And when your people would say it gets, it's always in clean air. Yeah, <laughs> right. exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not getting right. It's not getting sandblasted on the uh, exactly. On the yeah, planet. yeah, yeah. Notice, yeah. and what they were astonished at at the press conference this afternoon, Stern and the other guys and gals, uh, Doctor Bowman, was the fact they can't find any impact craters on this close-up at all. None, zero, zip. Now they're saying that that huh. implies that this is a relatively young surface. It also implies to me that Pluto. He's been hanging out where, as Keith just said, it's clean air, so there's nothing to hit it. So it could be a very old surface, but very, very well preserved for billions of years. We don't know yet. We need ground truth, and we're not going to get it, obviously, on this mission, mm. because the, the, the only way they have of dating these surfaces is something called comparative crater counts. The idea that if something is covered with more and more craters... And the cratering has been at a steady state across the history of the solar system. Then something with a lot more craters got to be older than something with few craters. Right. But if you're dealing with something orbiting in a region of the solar system which does not have things to impact and cause craters, then a very ancient surface can look pretty new. And that's just my impression that this is a very ancient surface, but it's been preserved because, again, in our model... Pluto and Charon mm -hmm. and the other guys were deliberately placed in that orbit as a deliberate archive when everything fell apart 65 million years ago and the Type 2 civilization became extinct in this huge interplanetary war that we talk about. And this is all in the book now, that I did uh, with Richard Grossinger's request, uh, Pluto, New Horizons for, for a Lost Horizon, the entire predictions of the model when we got to Pluto, published in March, before we had any data, is now in print. So we can compare my predictions as to what we're seeing. And my predictions were we would see structures. We would see geometry. We would see an archival planet left there for us to find and learn from. How long is New Horizons supposed to be around Pluto before it's gone? Oh, it's not orbiting. Oh, it's yeah. dashing past at 32,000 miles an hour. It was there it's yesterday. Gone. It's, it's yeah. now millions of miles past. It's been looking okay, so back. so now here's... It's been looking back I'm and sorry. taking lots and lots of data as it recedes. For instance, close-ups of the, some of the little moons, the night side of Pluto by Sharon Shine, Sharon Light. That should be really, really awesome as an image. Or images. And then lots of uh, scattered dust images looking for rings, looking for the Pluto atmosphere, looking for an atmosphere around Sharon, which you only can do really in forward scattered light. So you've got to get behind an object with the sun 
behind it toward the center of the solar system to get that kind mm-hmm. of viewing angle. But right. yeah, it's it's, so it's he, going away and away and away. And what they did this afternoon is they well actually this morning about five thirty a.m. Eastern time they turned this spacecraft around about the size of a baby grand piano. They pointed the big antenna several meters across at the Earth at the center of the solar system, and they sent down several hours of data before they turn back around and resume taking images and taking data and and doing science because they can't transmit and take data simultaneously. That's one of the huge problems of the design of this spacecraft. Okay, now here's an important question, if I can throw it out. Go ahead. Uh, I got one after. Go ahead. With Compared to all the other satellites and all the other missions that we've sent out there, how much data do you think will reach the public from this compared to what they'll actually have really on file? Mm, Keith, you want to tackle this first? Mm, what percentage yeah. do you think? What percentage? Uh, if it's been like lately, I would say, oh, 98. You know, I would really? say that high. Well, yeah. because I, 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 I don't know if I believe that. It's hang not on, that I'm calling you out as a liar. Guys, guys, guys. <laughs> There's what a they reason. do instead with these programs is they put it out there and let you figure it out yourself. And here's, they will never say it's an anomaly in there. There has been, a, gentlemen, 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 there has been a dramatic, if totally unannounced, change right. in national cover-up yeah. policies uh-huh. going back the last couple of years. And every time I've been on coast with George, I've tried to point this out, that what NASA's been doing for two or three missions and what the Europeans have been doing for their missions and what the Chinese did with their lunar mission back in 2013, they've all been letting it all hang out. There are the most astonishing imagery now in the official archives of all of these national space programs, all staffed by different people, run by different governments, run by different political you know, philosophies, But what they've been doing is they've been stuffing their archives with real astonishing data on artifacts, ruins, geometry, engineering, structural components, you know, artifacts, toys, mechanical junk, huge megastructures. All of it is being put in the archives, which has told me and obviously has told Keith that there is a change, a dramatic public change coming and what these agencies are doing is putting the stuff in the archives so when people accuse them of a cover-up, they simply port to the archives and they say, well, it's nope. been there. It's right there. Yep. If, 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 if you're too damn dumb <laughs> right to there. You just it, didn't see it until now. It, it's right. not our problem, exactly, because <laughs> yeah. we live in a society where unless authority figures say you now have permission to see artifacts on other planets, very few people will have the guts to, A, see the stuff, and B, the guts to talk about it publicly so NASA and the other guys are perfectly safe until they pull the trigger and we have the D word, disclosure, mm. which I think from the trend curve, Keith, I would estimate to be weeks away, if not sooner. Wow, that soon? Yes. My goodness. I mean, that that right there is incredible. If that is an actual fact that we get disclosure. Well, you got to well, look, let me, let, to let look me. at what they've been faced with here lately. Well, of course, uh, it's Art Bell coming back it, to radio. It, it, they well, don't have that, to that's what's going to cause it, exactly. Here's the thing, though, and this is the question I didn't get to ask, and you guys kind of like answered it for me. Uh, and it really wasn't much of a question. It was more like a statement that things had to have changed dramatically for NASA to put stuff out like this, and that 
brush it over like they've done in the past with moon pictures. Well, uh, there definitely has on, to be something going on. on. Hang on. What would your model be? In other words, there's only two possibilities. Either they've had a tremendous change of heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Or they don't Brookings, have a choice but to tell us. Or Brookings is no longer operative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Or someone is holding a gun to their head. That's a possibility. Or they know that you know what's going to hit the rotating kitchen appliance, and they're getting ready as an insurance policy, putting all this stuff in the archive so they can claim, we weren't covering anything up. You're just too stupid to have noticed. Well, and and also, they don't don't look for things like this. (laughs) Oh, of course they do. Are you kidding? Well, yeah. So they say. So they say. They don't look for This is why the missions are being funded. You really think we're going out to Pluto to measure its atmosphere? (laughs) I mean, it does look, guys, it does look like it. It does look like they really knew exactly where to point the cameras, well, how to get the right thing. shot. I mean, they knew exactly they what picked, was going on. They picked from Earth from the Hubble imagery, which is awful, right. this particular side of Pluto to fly past and get the close-up images. Based on the approach photography, frankly, I would have preferred the other side of Pluto. Mm, interesting. So, so it, well, look at the hexagonal geometry. Keith, tell me about the hexagonal geometry on the other side of Pluto. Now, the other side is full of great dark basins that, for all of me, look like huge geometric chasms. Uh, again and again and again, like yes. three-dimensional architecture on such a cyclopean scale as to make any timid mainstream scientist go, ee, and run into the night screaming. <laughs> when Alan, when, when even Alan the planes, Stern, have, even the planes the, yep, the, have the other morning, look. the other morning during our Pluto special, we were very lucky through the offices of Keith Morgan uh, to get Alan Stern, the principal investigator of the entire New Horizons mission, on our air on our special for like I guess it was ten or fifteen minutes. And one of the two of the amazing things that Stern said on our program was that this planet, this double planet, Pluto and Charon, is now more interesting and more important than Mars. Now, wait a minute, Keith. We've got (laughs) close-ups and curiosity of structures, mechanical debris and junk on Mars. How can Mm -hmm. Pluto from orbit be more interesting, Dr. Stern, than what we're seeing on Mars? Answer? Something moved. Hang on. The answer is contained in his second description of the Pluto surface. He said Pluto looks like it has, and this is a direct quote, a science fiction surface. Can you say code, gentlemen? There's something there or someone ah, there. Yep. How to say it without saying it. Correct. Because, yeah. it's, because it's not time. So what this is, uh, remember Roddenberry's rule. Years and years and years ago when I showed my friend Gene Roddenberry... Um, the images of Sidonia after an entire day at Warner Brothers and he's taking me to lunch and dinner and winding and dining and we're having an extraordinary time because we're old friends and I've got all these 16 by 20 images of Sidonia black and white images from NASA and from our enhancements laid out all over the carpet on his office floor and on the couch and on his desk and everywhere he finally looks across the photographs at me on the couch and he says but Dick if this was real, it would be on television. 
See, now that's of, funny. <laughs> no, no, it's it's extraordinarily insightful and 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 very very perceptive, because what that was telling me is that we live in a culture where even if you're on the inside and you have the briefing, unless it appears on television or in this case we include major media, major newspapers, blogs, the internet, all media together, unless it appears there and people are making a fuss about it, it doesn't exist. So it's not good enough that they have briefings in the back room saying, look at this arcology and look at these geometric structures and look at here's where they may have parked the so-and-so. It has to be on television even though it's addressed in a code phrase. So all the folks that got the briefing listen to Alan say, Pluto's surface is science fiction. Bingo. Close bookend on the briefing, and they now know it's real. It's been on television. It's amazing. They displayed the photo, uh, you know, in the Because it's coming up. We're going to have disclosure. And the question is, who's going to freak out? And when? And, 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 And is Jade Helm... You know, that massive several-month military exercise going on now in the great American Southwest is, in fact, preparation for people freaking out when they find that we are not alone. (laughs) I don't think it'll be that much. Yeah, but I always thought that the Jade Helm thing, you know, I've been seeing these plugs all over the Internet that there's a meteor coming around the end of September that could cause an extinction-level event. Yeah, that's but, uh, called, you know, no one we, ever, you know, the government's making everybody a hush hush about it. Alan, Alan, and that's why Jade Helm is there to We call that Go fear, ahead, please. We call that fear porn. Fear of mm-hmm. Fear porn. Oh, fear porn. Doom and Doom and Gloom. Yeah. Fear <laughs> porn. Gloom. Yeah. At the end of the world I, is nigh. You know, I, We've had well, about how many you know, end-of-the-world scenarios now in the last 15 we are years. In, we are in this huge <laughs> battle for the hearts and minds of the human condition. Right. And the two sides of this dichotomy is fear and love. It's fascinating that the major heart-shaped feature, the brightest feature on Pluto, has now been renamed the Clive Tombo Regio. After Clive Tombo. That's a... Clive Tombo who was the guy who in 1930 discovered Pluto using Ah. a photographic telescope at Lowell. And we were very pleased and honored to have Clyde's son on our show the other morning, yesterday morning, describing how his dad found it and what happened afterwards and what he went and did and how the family has reacted. Do you know that Clyde Tombow's ashes are actually riding on this spacecraft? I'm kidding. Tombow is the first emissary from the human race into interstellar space because this spacecraft will keep on going and going and going forever. I think Gene Roddenberry is a little upset about that now. Yeah, he he only got as far as the moon. (laughs) Uh, I wonder if George Lucas is going to take a trip once he passes. I think you have to. I don't know. I don't know. But I I, I will tell you guys – I will tell you one funny story, though, that that um, the description of having all the photos of Mars on Roddenberry's floor mm-hmm. in his office, funny as it is, I could back that up as true because I remember Majel Barrett actually mentioning, mentioning it, something about that in a little sit-down that I had with her and a couple of other people from the TV show Star Trek. So, mm. um you know, and you know, Majel was married to Jean. So yes, yes. Uh, 
Did you ever well, meet he, her or no? Oh, I've known Major for years until she died. She died a couple, oh. three years ago. Yeah. In fact, yeah. I met them great, just as they were getting married. We had we had dinner at a place on, on Sunset Boulevard called the Cock and Bull. It was a very classy <laughs> restaurant. and I remember, Very classy sounding, yes. Yeah, well, it was very high-end <laughs> food. And everybody who was anybody, so you, it would be like the, the Brown Derby where you would go and you'd see all kinds of movie stars and celebrities and all that. So we're, I'm sitting there with Gene and with Majel having dinner, uh, and there are all kinds of actors and actresses flowing around the room, you know, getting tables, leaving, waving, coming over, saying hi. It was very interesting to be in that Hollywood milieu. Mm. Now, let me ask you guys, now that someone has made the ter- used the term science fiction setting, do you think that there is activity on, on Pluto itself or Charon, or do you think that it's just leftovers? Well, our model says it's just it's a, it's a, it's a library. It's an archive. It's a place that's been preserved so we can figure out what we're doing in this place and what our real history is. With the New Horizons cameras with its sensors it can't really pick up a a current civilization because it takes stills it takes images that are stills and you have to have movement and you have to have movement at a fine scale to see vehicles or whatever but i really do think that that was stern's kind of cute way of referring to the idea of structures intelligently designed engineering geometric on a huge scale structures visible in the imagery and this close-up image for those see it's 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 really hard to to inform people of what they're seeing if they have no contextual experience for what they're seeing right understand you can't really teach uh constructional engineering techniques to people who are art majors Especially not on radio. Kind of takes a while, exactly, because you've got to have the victory. But what I'm seeing when I look at this surface and what Keith is seeing, and chime in any time, Keith, is much better preserved engineering and not Mm. mountains, even though the scale is on the order of mountains. In fact, there's one there kind of up in the middle of that um, cluster that almost looks like you're looking at a huge mega cathedral on an aerial photograph looking from the top down because it's got these relu triangle uh, tops to yes, three structures. That. It's got like three or four of them. Uh, yes, like yes. Right and, yeah, yeah and that. that looks like it's a very tall, wide skyscraper and if, a la some look, of the things that were designed in the that, 1930s. But that sounds like some of the unique structures that are supposedly on our own moon. They are. Cathedral yes. style. But they're in Correct. much worse condition because our own moon orbits down in the mm-hmm. invariable plane of the solar system and has been subjected ever since the war to huge amounts of dust at high speed, sandblasting with every impact material away. So you wind up with rounded, eroded, almost featureless geometry, whereas on Pluto, because it's up above the plane, or below the plane most of the time, it hasn't got dinged and hit as much as everything else, and so it's in much better condition. And I think the other side... Okay, I get that. Now, let me ask you... Hang on. I think the other side, the side that we're not seeing in close-up, is in even better condition than this side. I believe that. Yeah, I believe. I completely believe that. Well, just honestly, compare. Well, it depends just, on. Just they're not. They're not. They're not going to give you the best. They're not give you the best image right off the bat. Just compare the two geometries. So this has nothing to do with politics. It has to do with the distance we were from the planet when they took the image. Remember, Pluto only that rotates too. once every six point four days. 
So are, if, are we going to get more images soon, do you think? Oh, yeah. Tomorrow. Tomorrow there's another data dump. There's a big press conference at NASA headquarters on Friday, so you tune into NASA TV or you Google you know, NASA Pluto press conference and you'll get dozens of links. And you can watch it in live stream. You can watch it on space.com or you can watch it at NASA headquarters. I mean, there's so many ways for people now who NASA are TV. interested to, to follow this and to be up on the latest what's being revealed. And then you come to these updates for kind of context and perspective as to what's really going on. Right. Okay. You know, I, let me. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Let me, let me get this real quick. Go? Hold, okay, hold on. Hold on. You went, you went first last time, Alan. Let me get first this time. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, one thing that's always bugged me, uh, Richard, and one thing that I think that the people that, that are listening in and some of the folks out there who might see some of these images and not get what, we're, what we all see uh, might be because, again, they're trained to look at, you know, when they're looking at images to look at buildings like skyscrapers like here on Earth, uh, you really got to think outside the box to see some of this stuff. But when you really blow these images up, I mean, there's artificial stuff all over the place. And how are, you, how, are you, how are you noticing that? How are you recognizing that? I'm looking outside the box. I'm, I'm looking no, at things that don't look natural. That, what is your process? What brings you to the conclusion it's artificial stuff down there? Well, just because yeah. I know what geometry is on the geometry. Exactly. Yes, that's exactly the, word I'm the geometry. Is, the geometry. It's it's the geometry. Stupid. Correct. Paraphrasing exactly. Bill Clinton. <laughs> All right. Now, let, let me throw what's this interesting. Out. Hang on. I'm, I'm what's sorry. interesting is that on other planets and moons and satellites we we looked at, uh-huh. the geometry is there, but it's beaten to hell because it's been Correct. eroded by micrometeor. Pluto is right. up it's, above. It's weathered. Yes, here it's in much better condition. Oh, which, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which is what I think was designed. Now, why do they pick 17 degrees? Why not 30 degrees or 27 uh-huh. or 19.5? 17. 17, if you go to ancient Egyptian mythologies, and there's a tremendous Egyptian link to all of this. Does anybody know who the chief Egyptian god was of the underworld? Seth. Well, set. No. Anubis? Wasn't it Anubis? No, no, no. no Horus? Horus? No, no. It was Horus. Osiris. Osiris. That was my next choice. Yeah. Osiris <laughs> is the big god of the underworld and, and resurrection, death and resurrection. Well, the number 17 right. is a number in Egyptian ancient numerology which stands for resurrection. Now, resurrection of what? If Pluto and Charon and all the other four moons are a system devoted to preserving what was here once and we discover it, we in the process resurrect the reality of that ancient extraordinary type 2 civilization. Now, flash forward the film. In 1930, Clyde Tombow discovers this little place and a schoolgirl, 11-year-old schoolgirl, from England sends a telegram through her grandfather who's part of the academic community and knows Lowell and knows the observatory and knows how to get to Tombo and when they were picking the name for this place she was the one who suggested Pluto and Tombo thought it was a great idea and agreed so it became the planet Pluto well what is Pluto Pluto is the Greek god of the underworld so Pluto is equivalent to Osiris, 
who's orbiting at 17 regenerative, reincarnative degrees. Gentlemen, do you see how deeply admired NASA is in ritual to our ancient Mm -hmm. history without telling anybody that that's what they're doing? The ritual's there, though, as (laughs) long as you know. I think Disney has something to do with this as well at this point. Well, they're either going to buy it, make a movie out of it. Hang on. We know from the record (laughs) that Disney in 1929, the year of the crash, brought out a new cartoon character, a dog, that he named Rover. After Tombo discovered in February of the next year, Pluto, and gave it the name, and the public absolutely exploded with interest in all kinds of columns and letters to the editor and news stories, and I mean, it was... In an era beyond before social media, it was the nearest thing to something going viral that you can imagine. Disney suddenly says, well, we're going to call our dog Pluto. So, no, Pluto the planet was not named after the dog. The dog was named by Disney after the planet and the mythology. All right. Now, so, Alan, there might be that movie in the world. Okay, well, here, and let this me is all described, by the way, in, in uh, Pluto Dark Mission. Uh, I'm sorry, a new, new Horizons for a Lost Horizon. All right, let me ask everybody on the line here about this, especially Richard. Um, what do you guys think about that we have what's called the Secret Space Program? Yes. Okay, so how come we haven't, with the Secret Space Program, gone over to Pluto? To actually go and see what's there. And how who says we haven't? How, how do you know we haven't? <laughs> okay. I mean, I automatically okay. assume we, they, we, they have, and we, they just aren't telling us. Exactly. I mean, and look, now these, these images are just their way of saying, okay, now let's show them this little Now let's talk about it. Remember, if part of our model, you know, which is both technical, scientific, engineering, and political, part of the political side of the model is – you know, we're, we're basically going on, on, on Jack Nicholson time. Up until a certain time, they believe you can't handle the truth. Correct. Yep. Now, that's an arbitrary decision on their part, and I don't think it's because we can't handle it. I think it's because they haven't figured out how to manipulate it so that it's part of our control mechanism because the truth, in fact, will set us free if we get right. the right truth. So we've always worked on the assumption there was some large calendar or clock under which the establishment inside was operating. And at some point, when the right hands were in the right position on the clock, disclosure would begin, again, because it's a ritual calendar and certain times and certain you know, dates and certain hours are more propitious for revealing this kind of information than others. Well, it sure but, wasn't the Mayan calendar. That's but now sure. we're talking about several weeks away, possibly, Richard, maybe sooner. I mean, that, this is really... Could be right well, around the corner. The well, it's right around the corner, you know, cosmically speaking. So right, why right. would why would this time be different? Why would it now be something coming up to a change, a paradigm shift? Well, go right. back to what Keith and I have been recognizing for a couple of years. I mean, Keith, you have been boggled as I have at how much amazingly real stuff has been stuffed in these archives. Yes, uh, from all the way back from Apollo, even before then. Uh, you just have to look for it, and it's and and the older stuff's not easy to find. What first put me on the trail was something everybody overlooked, and it was right in front of everybody's face, uh, and that's just how they do it. Uh, and if you are skilled in navigating their archives, if you're skilled in observing, uh, it's there. You can pick it up. You just have to sift the signal from the noise. And the rate no. at which they've been putting real stuff in the archives has gone up. 
again astronomically in the last year, six months. Like That's, every yeah, stuff, every yeah. image yeah. now contains stuff. Well, it started back, the, the flood started. They told me about this back when I was with the MER program, is that we are going to flood, that we are going to flood y'all with data. <laughs> and they have. There's so much, I can't, I mean, I'm, I'm so avid at, at Mars and the planets that, I, I mean, I've got my fingers in every pie, and it's almost too much for me to keep up with. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, we've got the rovers, we, we've got uh, planetoids, we've got everything. We've we got a mission going to Jupiter, what, you know. What's, I mean, what's interesting is that in tomorrow's data dump, we're going to get more imagery downlinked from the uh, tremendous amount that was taken during the closest approach, which was yesterday morning at a little before 8 o'clock Eastern time. That's going to come trickling down over the next few days and weeks in terms of high-priority, maximum close-up data, and we'll get color. Can you imagine, Keith, what these structures must look like in mm. color? Yes, yes. it would be nice. Because the artificial stuff that we do is, is, is colorful, mm -hmm. and it will stand out against the other background because if you're looking at materials that are, for instance, uh, made of a certain composition, then you'll get repeating geometry that has that composition because you're not going to change the, the composition of the materials to make structures five miles away, ten miles away. You're going to use the same materials over right. and over and over again. So right, color... Yes. <laughs> color is going to be very illustrative in terms of, of highlighting this geometry for people who can't see it against a black and white or gray background. Which is most people listening in. Which tonight. is most <laughs> people who aren't used to doing what we do. Correct. Yeah. I mean, most people are going to look at this and they're going to be like, okay, I see rocks. Well, but they're, again, they're not trained to see this like you are. Yeah, and these days with the, with the World Wide Web, with Google, with all the abilities to, to find information from anywhere, for folks not to have a kind of a, a, a seat of the pants or rule of thumb on how to separate natural stuff and artificial stuff, you'd think they'd never looked at a satellite picture. <laughs> yes, that's very and true. And most of them haven't. But if you're, if you're listening to this show, you got to because that's where the good stuff is. It's Correct. in the geometry. Now, I wonder when the, we get the color images, is it going to be in this same section also as well, or is it going to be the other side only, like you're saying? No, no, no. The, the, when they took this black and white, this black and white might be a filtered version of a color image. Okay. In other words, in order to make color, you red, green, and blue. Right. You can make false color by putting other wavelengths in, like infrared. The right. more colors you, you choose, the more filters you use the more you can play games. And Keith has done this over the years with a program from, is it from Kodak called Envy? Uh, yes, it was. Where, where, I think yeah, they're on their own Where you can take multispectral data and make the most vivid, incredibly colorful images, and the colors all correspond to composition. Mm -hmm. Well, let me ask and, you, has anybody here ever seen or heard of the DVD or the movie Moon Rising where uh, there were photos and videos of the moon put into color and actually it shows the domes it shows the asteroid strikes it's just a really really amazing video of okay, the actual that, moon that being is colorized. that's a that's a slightly separate process that's a process called solarization where you arbitrarily assign a color <clears throat> to the brightness differences in a in a gray or black and white image but real false color is where you have different filters filtering the spectrum when you take different versions of the same picture 
and then you put them together so the colors actually correspond to material compositional differences and not just brightness changes. Ah, okay. gotcha. Yeah, I and just found that. I just found more. that. Go ahead. Yeah, I would think that's more. I would think that's more detailed. I just found. Well, I actually it, watched it, that video a while back, and it, it's much I, more diagnostic. But it's so fascinating. Yes. Well, some absolutely. things you can you can put into just arbitrary luminance false color, and it will let you see shapes. It lets you see the geometry easier, but it's really all the same stuff because the the back end, what's causing the color, is all arbitrary. It has nothing to do with the actual surface materials. Mm. Okay. Moving on, moving yeah, on. Now, in all intents and purposes, uh, though, guys, I mean, is it, are we really? We have known about this uh, planetoid, this uh, dwarf planet, this planet. Uh, I mean, is any of this stuff supposed to be there? That's the first question. No, uh, there's nothing no. supposed to be there, right? Nothing That's at none all. None of it. The geometry should. That's not the amazing be there. part. It's supposed to be a cue ball. Yeah. Now, <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking of all, I'm thinking of all kinds of things. For instance. Is this, and this is interesting, Keith, is, is Pluto and Charon really, are they really objects that were closer to the sun, like in the asteroid belt, hmm, like, where, where Ceres, like where Ceres is? Uh, and it may they have were, been. If, if you follow any type of Sitchin-style cosmology and you know, read the Enuma Lish, it, it, yeah, well, it assigns it's, a, it's, a Sitchin is, Sitchin, Sitchin is very distrustable. Yeah, well, I mean, the Enuma Elish is yes. If you, yeah, you, you got to go back to the original. I was just going to say creative would be the right word, but okay. okay. Yeah, but the Enuma Elish <laughs> so, yeah, gives Gaga if, a nice row. And if, for instance, you have the technology to control gravity and inertia, hmm. meaning anti-gravity, then putting various objects, celestial objects, in any orbit you want is basically just engineering. And we have stunning examples of re-engineering of the rest of the solar system from what it used to be as part of the data that I'll be putting out in the next couple of years. So is it possible that Pluto and Charon used to orbit in the asteroid belt and were moved physically by this technology to be an archive in the current orbit to preserve it above the plane where the impacts would wipe out what's on the surface so that it's basically a world in waiting for when we can get down to the surface and find the libraries and go inside these huge arcologies and see how much is preserved, which, given what I'm seeing on the exterior, there should be awesome things preserved on the interiors mm. of these mountain-sized mega-buildings. Stupid question. Which is larger, our moon or Pluto and Charon? Our moon is larger by about one-third. Our moon okay. is, is 2,100 miles across. Uh, Pluto's about 1,500. Charon is about half that, about 750. Okay, right. so follow me with this. Apparently, you know, there's, a th there's more than one theory that our moon was placed where it is for a reason. Obviously, it doesn't rotate like any other moon in the solar system as well either. We always pretty much see one side. Well, now, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Until you get to Pluto... Earth and our moon have been called a double planet system by people like Isaac Asimov writing in the 1950s and 60s. It was a double planet system. Remember, we didn't know anything about Pluto at that time. We didn't know that it had a moon. It wasn't discovered by Christie until 1978. So Isaac was in blissful ignorance that Pluto had a moon. But the Pluto system is even more appropriate a double planet system 
and the physics, the torsion field physics of two objects of similar size and similar mass within a factor of 100 or so creates very interesting tremors in the force. Pluto and Charon are an active, amazing, hyperdimensional generator pumping out torsion waves with the resonances of all those other moons modulating Charon's revolution around Pluto and Pluto's revolution around Charon, around the barycenter, every 6.4 days. And that is doing extraordinary things in the physics. And remember this afternoon, Keith, at the press conference, how they were saying there looks to be evidence of energy inside both these bodies having melt stuff, and they can't figure out where the energy comes from? It's simple. It's a hyperdimensional system ducting energy in from hyperspace, and it's showing up in the form of tectonics and surface changes on two little planets that are amazingly more advanced than mainstream science and physics would project because it's not radioactive heating which is causing these dynamic changes. It's the hyperdimensional transfer because of the barycenter rotation of each of these objects around each other. Which so makes no a lot more it, sense. There, that, that, makes a lot, hold on, that, that makes a lot more sense than the planet's just heating up from the inner core. Yes! Plus, plus there is now a paper. They were very concerned, remember, in flying through and flying within 7,700 miles of Pluto this morning. Uh, They were, or yesterday morning, they were very concerned that they might hit something. You know, little bits of debris in rings, (laughs) in a a ring plane orbiting Pluto. And, of course, that would be all they wrote. The spacecraft would go up in a flash of flame because even a speck of dust at these velocities, 30,000 miles an hour, would hit with the force of a, of a stick of TNT, so you'd have no more spacecraft. So they got through all that. We've got great data. They're turning around. They're sending some of it home, and they'll send more of it in the next few weeks. But in that period of zipping around close to Pluto, they were looking at why there were no debris rings caused by meteor impacts on the moons. Now, their models said there should be debris rings. Well, the only way there can't be debris rings is if the moons and their orbits are so recent in solar system history that there hasn't been time for the debris to accumulate in the rings and cause a hazard for New Horizons. And that means the system has to be very young compared to the age of the solar system, something like 65 million years is what we're projecting as opposed to four and a half billion. So there's lots of interesting evidence that this is a young system, meaning it was put where it is recently and preserved from the catastrophe. So it's an archive to what things used to look like before the great and awful war that destroyed the solar system. Now, where do you think it was placed Origi- or where do you think it was originally in? Where oh, I, think, I, in the I, I, I think that it's a silicate world. It's not an icy world at all. Right. And that Charon is a silicate world. And the reason their densities are low is because their structure going down miles mm. below the surface crust, which will lower the density because of the honeycombing. And they're basically what the moon used to look like before the moon got beaten to hell because of its orbit around the Earth. And the Earth is where it is in the middle of the solar system. So we're saying they're hollow inside almost. Uh, down or to a hollowing certain depth. out. Down right. to a certain depth. Did anybody here ever read mm. one of uh, Asimov's book called The Foundation Trilogy? I read everything Asimov ever wrote. 
Foundation, <laughs> foundation and Empire, Second Foundation. Mm-hmm. Trantor. It, and Trantor. We're looking at Trantor. In fact, I mean, this has shades of Prometheus. Or if you're, if you're into Star Wars, that's Terrace. Yeah, but they're all go. the same. Do you understand <laughs> that Lucas stole from Asimov and Ridley Scott stole from Lucas or vice versa? Yeah. They're all yeah, pretty good. Good it is. Stuff. Fun it will read. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry, I, I, sorry, I had to do that. I'm sorry. But let me ask you, where do you think these planetoids were in the system or were they actually created from some part of the system and chunked off and put there. How well, do you think it got to where it is? If I'm right, <clears throat> Pluto and Charon used to orbit along in the same region as where Ceres is. There's a reason politically why when they dethrone Pluto, I think the IAU, again, excuse me, we're at the level of people sending messages. They don't say it straight, you know, they say it on the slant. So right. that if you had the briefing, you know what you're looking at. And if you haven't had the briefing, you don't understand anything that's going on. So by demoting Pluto in 2006, the very year, within a few months of the launch of New Horizons, and making uh, Ceres, the largest asteroid, another one, we now have, what, two dwarf planets officially designated for the solar system. Right, guys? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Well... Ceres is the same size as Charon, give or take 50 <laughs> miles. Right. And if Pluto used to orbit in the same rough belt as the asteroids, except there were no asteroids then, you just had these objects. And then in the, after the war, it was plucked away from its orbit and moved out to where it is now to preserve it and the history it contains. Then the prediction is that it won't be, a, <clears throat> excuse me, it won't be an ice world at all. It'll be basically another silicate rock with water vapor and a lot of volatiles on the surface that were part of the environmental system, part of the uh, inventory of volatile materials. But basically, it's a planet like a rocky inner system planet moved artificially by the technology of a type 2 civilization to be where it, it now is so we could ultimately go out and find it and begin to decode what it's supposed to be telling us. Now, Richard, why haven't we sent a rover out to Pluto? Do you know that That's it lands next. on the planet? That's next. Okay. <laughs> Do you know how expensive it is to get to Pluto? Very, I can imagine. It depends well, which space program you're working with. Well, well yeah. Too. If you're working with the secret guys and you got anti-gravity, you can go there on a picnic tomorrow night. If right. you're working with chemical I'm packing, rockets... I'm packing my picnic basket. If you're working with chemical rockets and Newton, you know, it's going to take you at least 10 years and a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Yep. So... To, and because it, this was an incredibly fast mission to get there in the 10 years, if you get there with rockets in a way that allows you to slow down and either go into orbit or land, a mission to Pluto with chemical technology, rockets, could take as long as 40 years. Wow. So unless we have a breakthrough and unveil it. generational spaceship, yeah. A, exactly. A disclosure of the real technology for spaceflight, i.e. anti-gravity. Mm-hmm. We're not going to do anything in the solar system. with the next disclosure in a couple of weeks? Well, no. You think we no. might get that no, disclosure? Wait. No, 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 no. Remember, this is a long process. Oh, this, darn. This process of, of drip, drip, drip of stunning Pluto data is going to go on now for the next 16 months. Mm. Gentlemen, I submit 
that this is not conditioned, as we have been told, by technical limitations, but in fact was designed into this mission to draw this story out as long as possible to keep this mission in the news in front of people who have attention spans briefer than a gnat's, which is mostly everybody on Facebook, and to keep the, the archetype, the paradigm shift, the, the consciousness change, which is signified by a Pluto consciousness, which is what uh, Grossinger and I discussed on the uh, uh, Pluto special yesterday morning for hours and hours and hours, that all of that is really what's been going on behind this mission because they're trying to push the river and use this mission, a faction, a group, to change consciousness now in preparation for the disclosure of the reality of the system in which we actually live. Now, how do you think this disclosure is going to happen, Richard? I mean, what do you think? It's already happening. You're in the middle of it. You're looking at it. You have Alan Stern saying this place has a science fiction future. Gosh, you can't live with metaphor for a while? (laughs) (laughs) No, but are they going to officially come out on a news conference and say, okay, we found this? At some because point, that is what everybody point. expects as disclosure. Well, yeah, That's because everybody, everybody wants to serve up on a silver platter. Correct. That's not how secret societies operate. But that's how secret, we work in America. Secret, <laughs> But see, America is on the wrong track. Very what true. What you want and what, what I'm going to be doing on, on my show, The Other Side of Midnight, is I'm going to be giving people clues. And they're going to have to step up with their imaginations because I'm not going to tell them everything just right out. People who are told things don't remember anything. They have to get the enlightenment, the aha, the light bulb going on themselves artificially before it sticks. <laughs> it, it, Richard, this is going to be an exciting time for you to start your show. One. Hold on, Richard, this is an exciting time for you to start your show. I mean, look well, when isn't you're it? starting your show. Oh, my I mean, goodness. Art, Art and I have been saying, you know, of all the times to come back and do this oh. experiment, both of us <laughs> together, you know, he doing Midnight in the Desert and me doing right. The Other Side of Midnight – and he says, I'm going to promo your show on my show, and I'm obviously going to do that on mine. I'm going to promo his. No, it's the perfect time because do you know what else is happening in the same time frame? What's that? The X-Files are coming back. Yes, <laughs> that is so true. <laughs> We're reliving the 90s the way it should have gone with Disclosure. And almost uh, even, yeah, I don't know how more epic you can get than Art Bell and the X-Files coming back, but we got Star Wars coming back also. Just and don't know. forget, yeah. don't forget, there's the new Galaxy Quest coming too. It's all about yep. space in the next year. <laughs> it really is. I think it it's really going to be is. the next decade. It's going to be the next decade. It now really let's is. not forget, gentlemen, and Keith, you might want to chime in here. Mm-hmm. What about the Dawn mission orbiting Ceres tonight? Oh, the Dawn. Has mission. anybody looked at what's on Ceres? The Except that nice little rate? reflection. No. No, it's well, yeah, it's yeah, the nice little reflection that 195. At 19.5, and remember the angle between the uh, cylindrical part and the rounder part, left and right, is 19.5 degrees in that 55-mile-wide crater. Which, by the way, they're not getting any closer. They've kind of put that on hold. Remember how they had a computer problem a couple weeks ago and suddenly they were not going to lower the orbit for a while? Yep, they're still there. That seems to me to be a timing thing. Who's going to get to go first? Is it Dawn, the Dawn team, or is it the New Horizons team? And I think New Horizons has won the, the, the coin toss, and they're the ones who are going to talk about disclosure. Remember, okay, my Alan question is, is, hold on, who this, tossed the coin? 
<laughs> behind the scenes. I know or whoever. Who are or, they that talk I don't to know. The, maybe I, the mission. I don't know if we had that answer. <laughs> I'm not part everything. of these guys. I'm not part of these meetings. These are speculation. These are political really? speculations based on what we're seeing. But With you your years two, involved, you weren't part of this decision making? Up until a point. Oh, okay. I'm wondering if it's well, the men hang in on, black. Hang on. Did you, you notice know? how did you notice how Stern opened yesterday's major press conference with the new signal coming back and the, the phone home signal and all that? Did you hear the musical selection that he chose to open? Renegade. No. I, I came in a couple well, of minutes late. It, well, so. they did play that also. I heard that. It was it was the theme from Enterprise. Mm. <laughs> oh, really? Yes, out of all the gin joints in all the world, why is Alan Stern playing my music? <laughs> I was looking for close encounters of the third kind. After, you know? after having been on my show and talked about a science fiction surface to Pluto, uh, then he plays the theme from Enterprise. Can we get with the program, guys? Is this messaging or is it not? Messaging uh, is like they're was, poking at you. Like I said, if it was Close Encounters of the Third Kind's theme music, I would have probably been a little bit more apt to uh, <laughs> to buy into it. Yeah, but what do I run as an institution looking at all this data? Uh, yeah, I know. Enterprise mission, I know. The Enterprise mission. <laughs> Correct. It's, it's kind of clear, isn't it? Well, he didn't are, call you out by name. Well, but it doesn't work that way. God, God, you are so kind of He's flattered. Dense. He's so dense, isn't he? You have to think four-dimensionally. No, 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 no. This, I, is I, a, this is a game of symbols and winks and nods and nudge, nudge. It's all at the level of implication and in. I know, I know. It's the, I know it's the if I told you, I'd have to kill you concept. Yeah, because it's it. not time yet. So what is pacing the clock? When will it be? No, 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 no. When will it be time? Well, there's no way they can do any kind of disclosure with Art Bell and you being on radio. That could be. They have to wait. That That has to wait. That could be one component, but I think there's a much bigger one behind the scenes, behind everything. Hmm, The upcoming presidential election. No, that's all also part of the bigger picture, but that's also a servant to the clock. Okay. It's the um, physics. The physics ah. has to be right. Okay. Remember what we were able to do at Chichen Itza. I don't know whether you heard this. Robin and I went down there yes. in, yep. in 2012 to measure just before the solstice on the end date of the Mayan calendar, the physics, the torsion field physics being amplified by the uh, Kukla Khan pyramid in the center of the Chichen Itza complex. And not only was I able to measure the physics, the background, but I was able to measure both on a dedicated individual basis as well as a group basis active, repetitive changes in the readings depending upon the consciousness of the subjects that I was working with. Uh Which means you could see an effect of the physics on their consciousness and you could see an effect of the consciousness on the physics in terms of how the Accutron responded there was a one-to-one correlation. If that's true, if the consciousness with which we approach the world is modulated by this background change in the physics the entire solar system has been going through for decades upon decades upon decades now in our model, it stands to reason that if there's a window of expanded consciousness coming up, 
when you want to put these truths out there so they don't get lost, they don't get ignored, they don't go away, they can't be shot down, they have to be addressed, you got to wait for the right time. It's like surf's up. you got to wait for the surf to be up. Surf is coming, and all of this, I think, is timekeeping, marking time until it's right to make the announcements to where they will stick and people will not freak out and go totally nuts, which is the, the big, 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 big fear. Right. That and prosecution. I think that's another fear for disclosure. Uh, nobody wants to go to prison for lying. Exactly. To the <laughs> which is why they're stuffing the archives full of data so they can look back and exactly. say, well, if you're too damn dumb to notice, we can't help that. <laughs> we've been publishing. Just like our charter says, we've been publishing. Yeah, that's yeah, true. It's very true. And, you know, it's, it's funny because a lot of the old guard uh, they were around with when the conspiracy, the, the you know the 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 oppression, the embargo on the truth, whatever you want to call it. When all this stuff started to happen, when this cover up began, a lot of those folks are no longer here. A lot or, of them are gone. Or they are following their uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Schedule. They're, they're, no, well, it's close. They're they're basically following the book, and the okay. book says, think of it like a Bible. The book says, on such and such a day of such and such a year in the reign of so-and-so, thou shalt do this. Right. <laughs> and so they're, they're, really they're following their instructions because they themselves may not know there's a physics pacing events. They're mm. just working off a calendar that says, on such and such a date, you do such and such. This, for instance, is why I think, as I explained on our um, uh, Pluto special, <clears throat> These two dates separated by exactly 50 years. Mm-hmm. It turns out the Mariner 4 encounter, the first flyby exploration of Mars that Dick Bertel and I covered in that special 50 years ago uh, last night, uh, took place on the 14th of July. And 50 years later, to the night, the signal that came back from Pluto literally came in 8 minutes and 20 seconds before the exact moment that Mariner 4 flew by Mars 50 years before last That's night. And that eight, is amazing. And 8 minutes 20 seconds is 8 and a third minutes. And the bit rate for Mariner 4 was 8 and a third bits per second. Do you understand? <laughs> these, these, are, these are rabid, obsessive, compulsive ritualists. And the 14th <clears throat> turns out to be the 195th day of the year, <laughs> 195. Well, that's where the power is, gentlemen. Richard. They know how to use the power. You know, they know and how to what exports. they're doing is what we used to call sympathetic magic, which is they're trying to push the physics by mm-hmm. ritually creating resonant events that they control in order right. to control the future. Now, this sounds like hocus-pocus and something run out of Harry Potter and yes, it is, because Harry Potter's talking about a concealed physics that is really masquerading as magic, but in mm. fact is the keys to the underlying reality that determines all of reality. Again, in the model of the hyperdimensional torsion field physical uh, observations we've been doing. So in other words, we're living in a magical holographic universe. Yes. Basically, Makes yeah. sense to me. In yep. a nutshell, that's exactly what it is. And those folks that know how to use it, it's an ancient uh-huh. technology. They have one up on the rest of us that don't know how to use it. Okay, and where's that manual? 
Exactly. <laughs> Where's that man? That's called the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. You don't have it. Oh, did That's... you know that, that, that 42 actually is part of this? <laughs> oh, oh, my goodness. No, yes. please do tell. Please do Doug, tell. Doug Adams somehow. All right. If you start taking simple geometric um, models of hyperspace, hyperspheres, and and uh-huh. you do it and you do it by putting basically think think of reality as a bunch of marbles. You take one marble and then you put in a plane three more around it. So now you've got one in the center and one at the top, one on the side and the other on the other side. So it's like an equilateral triangle with the other marble in the center, right? Then you keep right. adding in three dimensions, you start stacking your marbles. Think of those stacks of cannonballs. Mm-hmm. I follow. All right. Okay. All right. Well, when you get to 42, there's a magical transform into hyperdimensional realities that occurs at 42. So the answer really is 42. My goodness. That movie is prophetic. Yes. It really is the answer. Because <laughs> Doug Adams knew something. Now, did he, did he know what it really meant, or was he following a script? Was he simply writing what someone told him to write because it's time to get this out there. Which the is what I believe. Yeah. Yes, I believe that. I believe Hollywood has, has done that for years. A lot of people uh, yes. have no idea what they're doing. They're just following the script. Correct. Yes, yes. But the script look... is so much bigger than anybody imagines. Mm-hmm. In fact, some I night on my show... I which animal is really going to say so long and thanks for the fish. <laughs> <laughs> That's only if they decide to turn us into a part of the highway or something and pull well, us out well, of existence. No, no, but seriously, guys, let's answer the question. Besides us being sentient and aware and conscious, are there any other animals on this planet in your eyes that stick out that could be potential, I guess, you know, otherworldly or not otherworldly? That's not the right word I want to use. Oh, yeah. But, you know, that might have another connection to, to our prehistory. Dolphins and whales. Hmm. That's what the thanks for all the fish is all about. Yeah. Because the most intelligent creatures on Earth are not us. They're in the oceans, dolphins and whales. They just have a different time frame. They have a different <clears throat> culture. They, they literally live immense amounts of time. And if you look at the whale songs, how they progress from season to season to season, like they're accumulating memories and they're describing a cultural folk history – Maybe they're transferring an oral history to each other. Exactly. Okay. Which is what Pluto, as an archive, left by the Type 2 guys that are no longer with us, may have done so that when we get to where we can physically get there, we have something to get there for. Yeah, but what happens if the guys on Pluto left it for the fish, not us? In order to get there, you got to have a spaceship, and dolphins right. and whales do not have opposable thumbs. And well, at this point in time, no, but who knows what they could build with their thumbs. maybe. Remember, but... several hundred million years ago, whales and dolphins went back to the ocean. Ah. So how old are we talking about the history of life on Earth in terms of intelligent epochs or unintelligent epochs where you know everything goes down to the great primeval sea? Right, you know, it's funny you mentioned that, Richard, because we the planet that we think, at least, uh, we think it's been around for four point something billion years, right? That's the the, the current working theme or theory. Yep. Yep. Uh, but we only know of human history for what a few thousand years. 
Well, 6,000, supposedly. I mean, I think right. you go back at least a few million. Right. But that, that's too many, that's a, too many well, extinction but even, events. But here's the thing. Knows, that even even a million, yeah, but even a million a is a drop fraction. in the bucket. Yeah, it's a drop in the bucket. Exactly. It's a tiny fraction of the whole history, so a lot of stuff can happen. And if you have active geology and it buries it, how are you going to find it? The only way you're going to find it is somebody left an archive on an airless world not being pummeled by micrometeorites so it would survive for millions mm. or hundreds of millions of years. And that, now, Richard, Keith, again, is what we seem to be looking at in these huge, what appear to be archaeologies. They're not mountains. They're too geometric. Let me ask you, do you think that some of the aliens uh, that supposedly are abducting folks uh, are maybe remnants or us from the past that have stuck around, stayed around, kind of kept a, an observant eye and have always been around because they were us in the past. They were earthlings at one point. <clears> they're still here underground somewhere. I mean, do you think that is possible at all? That whole alien abduction scenario is, is kind of retro. I think that's mostly noise by the intelligence communities who are trying to mm. cover up what's really going on out there and who's really poking around and who really is a member of the family and who really would like us to reclaim who we are and not be suppressed by, you know, the kind of prison planet ethic. Right. When, when, when Alex Jones coined that term, he basically borrowed it from me and an NPR episode uh, show I did decades ago where I freaked out the, uh, the interviewer by calling the Earth a prison planet. <laughs> and, and she was stunned. Her name was Margot Adler. He and owes she, you royalties, by the way. She was, she was well, you, know, Alec, you mean, um, um, what's his name? Alex. Alex, yeah. Yes, of course. <laughs> owes you a lot of money, I'm sure, with that prison plan. Who knows? <laughs> but, you know, it, it, you're absolutely right, though. I mean, it. We are in what it is considered a prison planet. The media is dictated by the governments, and the governments are only going to, you know, tell us or condition us as much as they want. Uh, so I'm just flabbergasted at the well, fact that we might hang be on, weeks hang away. On, hang on a second. When you say the media is dictated by the government, are you sure? Because oh, I, I, since you, are you sure it's not the other way around? Exactly. I mean, you understand. There's seven corporations, seven owners that control pretty much all the media throughout the entire world. Right, and those seven corporations are the ones that are behind the scenes pulling all the strings to everything. So maybe it's, not, it's the not the government, maybe it's the media. You're looking at an oligarchy, the 1% of the 1% of the 1%. This is why I'm so fascinated by Donald Trump's money. oligarchy plutocracy. It's think the of, Illuminati. It's think the of, Illuminati. Think of, <clears throat> think of what Al, uh, Donald Trump's running. Represents. Oh my goodness! Yeah, he oh, is literally really with, <laughs> of course, of course, with ten billion dollars, he is definitely a tenth of a tenth of a tenth of the one percent. Right. He is running for president of the United States, and he is now leading in the polls. The world's most prominent oligarch is leading in the polls, and you don't think we're living in Saturday Night Live yet? <laughs> <laughs> Well, oh, I, it really does feel I, like a skit of Saturday Night Live. For him personally, um, you know, the company's in economic shambles. It would be interesting to see how he fixes it, <clears> or he <throat> fix it. I'll give him credit for this much: the man went broke, had you know lost everything, and then he rebuilt okay, himself and has enough. ten billion dollars. It's not a. It's he's not coming from old money. Also, right, he made too. it himself, didn't he? Yeah. Yep. 
And well, it makes he perfect had, sense. He had, to, he had quite a heads up from his dad, but he really did turn a few hundred million, maybe, into ten billion, according to his filing this afternoon. Yeah, kind of impressive. Yeah, yeah. this is the one person who does not need uh, the people uh, behind the scenes to feed his campaign. He could pay for everything himself without a problem. That's how you know rich this person is. Uh, and it also makes perfect sense to have this country ran by a businessman, not a politician, a career politician, or a lawyer, hate lawyers, or a, you know an official that was a judge. No, a, a businessman, because at the end of the day, America is one big giant corporation that has a bunch of corporations and a bunch of literal corporations, and it just keeps going on and on and on. But it really is just one large corporation. And I think it would make sense. I don't know if I'd vote for the man, though, but... The idea of a businessman as president, I think, would make perfect sense. Well, in what's interesting is because he has so much money and he throws his weight around and he does represent the 1% of the 1% of the oligarchs that are running the world, what he says is getting talked about. Very true. And the more but, outrageous his propositions, the more the serious folks on both sides, the rest of the Republican field and the Democratic field, is going to have to address at some level the incredibly far-out statements that Donald Trump is making. Mm. In any realistic scenario, why would the 1% of the 1% be pointing out all the problems in the system when they're the ones that are creating the problems? Unless, unless this guy, the representative of the 1% of the 1% of the 1%, is in fact a... a, a um, uh, you know, a Manchurian candidate at some level. And in fact, That's his mission his mission is to bring chaos and expose incredible incongruities, but ultimately it is to allow the rest of the system to argue over the spoils and to figure out real policy positions on these outrageous uh, positions that he is taking. In other words, he's an agent provocateur who cannot be bought cannot be controlled, cannot be controlled, cannot be directed. And so who in the fact behind the scenes is directing him to do all this? I don't have an answer. Hmm. I just I don't I have just, an answer for that one. Richard. I just pose a question. <laughs> With all that all money this, he has, I don't have an answer for see, that. See, all of this is happening as we're exploring the, the psychological and sociological and mythological mm-hmm. concept of the apocalypse, revelation, truth, Speaking truth to power, secrets being revealed, the hidden coming clean, coming into the open. That's what the whole Pluto system really represents. The God of the underworld, of things that have been concealed. It's an extraordinary time for when the physics is doing extraordinary things and somebody or somebody's here is trying to use the physics to make things happen in the realm of consciousness and people's democratic aspirations and let me uh say real quick uh before we continue richard i want to speak to the people listening tonight right now if you guys want to call in i'm opening the lines now for the next uh 10 15 minutes that we have on the show uh before we close out for the evening if you guys want to call in this is the time to do so any questions you have for our guest this is your time 786-245-8127 again that's 786-245-8127 and And we should also mention that our show, the Pluto special, the six-hour special mm-hmm. we did yesterday morning. My goodness, plus, six hours. Plus the, up, <laughs> plus the update that I did last night on I forget which show and that we're doing tonight on your show. They're all being 
assembled and are tacked onto the archive and Keith mm-hmm. has got a, 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 a place somewhere on the site where you can actually find uh, where the archive is and you click on that and you subscribe and you'll able, be able to listen to this stuff or share it with your friends whenever whenever you want. And let me ask you, are, are you uh, all geared up to go now to uh, to get this thing rolling on a nightly basis after art? Oh, you How mean excited is this? your beginning, show? Beginning on the other side of midnight, my show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not organized yet. Are you kidding? <laughs> I've, been, I've been out to Pluto. I have to come back from Pluto. You know, it's kind of it's kind of hard to plan a long term radio show. Uh, we're, we're doing we have some surprises for the night of the twentieth and the twenty first, and that 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 first week will be will be interesting because it's going to be a little different than what I'm normally going to be doing. And what I'm going to try to do is surprise people. I'm going to try to do what's not expected. I'm going to try to drill down in depth in things that most people don't talk about or see connected. And there's lots of connections that we need to be looking at. We need to be really apprehending what's going on with a very broad set of sensors now, not being narrowly trapped into what other people tell us is going on and what's important and what reality is, because everything is up for grabs. Including the phone call we just took right now. 336, you're live on Skywatchers Radio. Welcome to the show. Thank you uh, a lot. It's a pleasure to speak to Richard. I've been following him since uh, 1990 or so. Oh, my God. I knew there was something uh, back there. uh, (laughs) I I, I do believe in the uh, solar war um, that you and um, uh, some other people have. Doc, Dr. Joseph Farrell is a very good person. Thank, yeah. thank you very much. I got three uh, see, of I knew you were thinking of Joseph. Yes, yes. I, I sure was. But my, my problem is with a war, there's typically a winner and a loser. And my question hang on, is. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Okay. Unless it's still ongoing. Well, that's the Correct. other direction I thought you might go to. <laughs> well, since we're what dealing with humans, look, look, look. What's the difference between humans and the gods? Answer, um, answer. Power, technology. But, but you're there. The gods have more toys. Right. Exactly. The the behavior. If you look back at literature, any of the ancient classic sacred texts, the Sumerian, the Babylonian, the Greek, the Mayan, whatever, the guys and gals that do all this amazing stuff just appear to be us humans with really glitzy toys. So if we're looking in terms of the solar system as an epic when we were the gods, when we had abilities to manipulate the ether, the torsion field, and like in Forbidden Planet, like the Krell, we could project matter to any particular spot on the Earth in any particular form, any color, any design, etc., and we misused that power and we destroyed ourselves and the solar system, then that means we're the poor, 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 poor cousins slowly rising up from the mud, looking out at the system and saying, oh, my God, what we used to be. Except the folks that are doing that are a select few who think they're related by blood, by DNA to the gods, and the rest of the unwashed on the planet don't deserve to be part of that heritage and that's what I think is about to change. Can I ask one more question? Absolutely. Go for it. Go for it. I've been watching some uh, David Flynn on YouTube, and oh, uh, it's what, so what such you... a shame he's not with us anymore. It sure is. It he was died, uh, he died, died so bad. tragically, so too mm-hmm. early. Because David had a brilliant mind. He yeah. was a fundamentalist Christian, but he was one of these big thinkers, fundamentalist Christians. We had so much fun 
putting puzzle pieces together from the Sidonia days in his version, his view, by means of the Old Testament as to what might have gone on out there and who God was and who the devil is. And I mean, he has some remarkably interesting uh, perspectives, and it's just a shame he's no longer with us to, to enjoy what we're seeing now. Well, my question, and I don't, I'm not heavily into him as of yet, but I've been trying to be. But He'll grow on what you. do you think about this war <laughs> instead of uh, us involved is between good angels and bad angels, and we just happen to be right in the middle of it all? Yeah, well, but what's an you, angel? How do you find how angels? Find exactly. <laughs> yes. Very good, guys. From God. Yeah, but remember, with any, God? <laughs> with any sufficiently advanced toys, you can become a messenger from God. Correct. You, you can become a god. Exactly. I mean, what's the definition of God? God looks at you and says, I think you need to wear a different set of clothes. And suddenly you're wearing a different set of clothes because he just thought it and it changed. Well, doesn't that kind of remind you of Q on Star Trek? <laughs> or Is Q a god? <laughs> or a, 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 a human who had access, the ability through mental techniques to control the force, to control the torsion field, and make happen without physical instrumentality that which, because the physics is now different, it requires that we use technology to make a pale version of those things happen. In other words, if the physics has changed from what it used to be to what it is now, and back then everybody was a god because they could tap directly in and make things happen, and now because it's broken, only a very few people can make things happen, and most of us have to make machines to make things happen. Do you see where I'm going? That the actual... Mm -hmm background environment because of the war it destroyed the system that was designed to preserve the ability of consciousness to interact with the torsion field at will do you think that's part of the problem with disclosure that once yes that's, that's wait a minute that once this is uh, uh, uh presented to the public that with this kind of uh when you talk about the torsion torsion field and everything else i mean it, to me, it would seem very easy for bad people to get a hold of that once that were to come out and be disclosed. Absolutely. That we could be in another situation like we were in 65 million years ago or whatever. The well, exactly, be. because you yep. think you have, you have problems now with terrorists. Can you yeah. imagine? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah. Let, me, let, me, let me tell you what I think is going on in the way of parts of our society which are making comments like this. Look at the whole Marvel Universe series. What is the lesson from the Avengers, from Captain America, from Thor, from Spider-Man, from all of those? Oh, I know the answer. It's Hail Hydra. That's actually a part of the answer, yes. Because, yes. because godlike power is given to people who are not gods. You're not going to like how it turns out. Correct. And that's, I think, a meta-tale for our own history. I mean, for I a think, very long time, for decades, I've thought, ever since we saw the stuff at Sidonia, and we realized that there had been a catastrophic war there on Mars that destroyed everything, I cannot shake the feeling that it was us, and it was a civil war, and it's because our toys got too big for our consciousness, and like the Krell in Forbidden Planet, we did it to ourselves. All right, now we're just okay. beginning, millions of years later, to look around and try to figure out what the hell happened. 
we got to move on from that caller. We have a couple other callers on the line who want to get in. 614, you're on the air with Richard C. Hoagland and Keith Lenny and myself and the other guy. Uh, what's your question? Make it fascinating. Hello. Well, first of all, I'd like to say hello to Richard. This is Charlie. Hi, Charlie. Uh, I go back. Hi, Charlie. Hi, I go back, back to 1990 as well. I want to say hi to Keith Laney. He knows who I am. Friends hey. with him. Uh, hey, Charlie. Hey, buddy. Uh, I got a question for you, and that is, um, you know Max Kajic? Yes, Gay. of course. Okay, Richard, um, did you notice the timing of the... Uh, of the anomaly uh, from the New Horizons on July 4th. Did I notice that it happened? Yes, of course. And a few well, days no, before, I... like two or three days before, they had a similar problem uh, went into safe mode on Dawn, orbiting Ceres. Right. Um, Max um, posted on, on his page, he had noticed that the timing of the anomaly occurred around 3.30 a.m. I was wondering if you had taken a look at the timing of it. You mean in terms of the celestial alignments? In terms of uh, when, in the morning? Yeah, well, there are two things you can look at. You can look at the time itself. 3-3 three, three would be interesting. <clears throat> and the well, other well, it depends is, on the time zone you're in. Hang on. And it depends well, on the time a, zone. That's a message. Yeah, exactly. It's an implied message. The question is, is it a threat from outside, or is it a pause from inside because everything has to be in sync? I think it's a pause because other parts of this moving machine are not in place yet for the full disclosure, which is coming. But I don't think we're months away or years away. I think we're weeks away. And I think that the adjusting of which team is going to actually get to talk about it first is part of what's going on there. <clears throat> okay, okay. Thank you so much, Richard. One more thing I want to ask Keith. Uh, Keith, I'm looking at your image. Mm -hmm. uh, the mountains, uh, the lit upside, and uh, towards the left uh, corner uh, near the center, I see a structure with a V cut on top of it. Do you see that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's pretty. That's pretty uh, telling right there. <laughs> oh yeah, Charlie, look I, around in that image. Yeah. Uh, you, you will be oh, amazed. Yeah. The more you Charlie, look, the more you'll see. It's it's pretty incredible. Blow the image up as much as possible and really look at every little part of that image. I mean, there's so much artificial stuff in there. It's incredible. Again, <clears throat> as denoted by the geometry. Correct. See, we have to keep telling people who don't know what we're looking at and thinking, are these guys smoking really good stuff? <laughs> <laughs> there, is a, there is a criteria. There's an objective criteria, and it's geometry. I see rectilinear geometry, which means if, if, if you look over on the right-hand portion of that frame, Keith, at the bottom... <laughs> You know where that the right-hand arcology is, and then you go catty corner up to the left about 45 degrees. There's a single thing kind of lying there by itself. And then directly north of that, up in the image, there's this linear thing that looks like a, like a mound, only it's kind of uniform. It's kind of rectangular. Mm -hmm. That whole area looks like it's got a rectilinear grid, like almost a street configuration in some west, southwest city yes. like Phoenix. You see, they go up and down and left and right, mm -hmm. and it's it's fuzzy because it's obviously mantled by something, probably a lot of the volatiles. Remember, the atmosphere of Pluto literally can freeze out and fall on the ground as snow. If if you were to take the Earth and somehow move it out to Pluto, what would happen, gentlemen? 
Well, no. snowball. What would happen? Freeze. All the, but all the, all but the moisture at what rate and what would freeze first and what would it look like? In other words, That's the an first excellent thing, question. I have no idea. Well, think about it. The first <laughs> stuff that would freeze would be water because water has right. the highest, highest uh, melting point. Right, then, right. The, then the gases, remember, we're breathing oxygen and nitrogen. Nitrogen and oxygen condense into a liquid at around 300 below zero at standard pressure. So you could just kind of you know, say to yourself, well, what would happen is the Earth, water would freeze first, and then the various components of the Earth's atmosphere would freeze. Mm. And you've got a lot of atmosphere. All of it would freeze at those right. temperatures out there. It would fall on the ground as snow and ices. And in other words, you could take the Earth and transform it into something that looked like Pluto in a matter of hours because of the huge temperature fall. It would take probably a week for the temperature to get down to ambient. But at the we end were talking of that, about it, it, just, it just made it disappear from here and appear there, not dragging yes, it over there. Yes. Okay. Now, okay, if, you, if you physically moved it using if some... you dragged it there, yeah. It's not it, working it, that way. <laughs> well, it would, get, it would get colder and colder and colder the farther away from the sun, so this process would happen gradually. The right. point is that you can take a world that looks like Mars... And you can move it out to Pluto, and it will look like Pluto, even if it is made of Mars stuff, because the gases of the atmosphere produce the, the volatiles and the ices to mantle the other stuff that's already there. Makes sense. Richard, we have time for one more caller, and he's been patient waiting. 404, you're on the air with Richard C. Hoagland and Keith Lenny. Uh, get your question in. We only have a few minutes. Go for it. Thank you, Mr. Thank you, Mr. Hoagland. Uh, you just don't know how excited I am to speak to a true American hero like yourself. I have a couple of questions. One, when is the new book coming out, The Heritage of Mars? I uh, want to read it so bad. And okay. two, do you believe the dinosaurs were on the planet that exploded? Well, I hear you talk about the dinosaurs in a way where question. the physics change. The physics change, and they're small now, but they were big one time. And they say the planet that blew up was a big planet, a bigger mm -hmm. planet. And the ancient text said that actually this might be a part of that planet. Well, so yeah, I the, was putting all that. Yes, go ahead. The, the planet four that blew up may have been what we call a super Earth, meaning it was several masses of the Earth. It may have been one and a half to two times the physical diameter of Earth, which would make it much more typical of the planets, the rocky planets that we found in the galaxy. You know, the Kepler mission and the other missions that NASA has going looking for extrasolar planets have found an awful lot of super Earths. And the fact that this solar system doesn't have one makes it really an oddball, a standout, and so it's not illogical to, to imagine that maybe the planet that blew up that Mars and other guys used to orbit as, as moons, as satellites, was of the super-Earth category. If that was true, then it, it implies all kinds of things about the physics of the solar system then, the physics of living on Mars as a satellite of this bigger planet, the physics of maybe Pluto was a moon of of this, you know, fourth planet. And when the planet was blown up, Pluto was moved to be the archive. In other words, you can you can paint all kinds of incredible magical scenarios. All you have to do is propose that there is an ability using this physics to control gravity and inertia, in which case you can remodel anything, including entire star systems. It just takes time. If yep. that's the technology of which we are descendant, 
then if we could master its use My and goodness. conquer and conquer our mm. consciousness so that part of us didn't destroy the rest of us, the so-called terrorist syndrome, the ISIS syndrome, the end-of-the-world syndrome bringing on the apocalypse, that's the danger of democratizing this level of engineering and physics because with bad people, this physics could wind up destroying this planet as well as the ones that happened in the past. Richard, we're sadly so out of time. Keith, we're out of time. Uh, we have to run. This has been just a magical segment with you two. Uh, just uh, thank you so much for being on the show. And, uh, yeah, it's really. Wonderful. We are so happy to have you on board on Dark Matter Digital. Well, and thank you for introducing me to the network. I am glad to be joining my fellow colleagues. And our first new show is going to be Monday night, uh, the 20th, 21st. Mm. I have no idea what's going to happen, so you <laughs> might as well join me and watch it all unfold together. I might have to stay up to to really late to listen to that. I, I, I'll be up. Forget work. I'll be up for that one. Make Richard, sure you uh, guys still go look for the archives because Keith is going to knit all this together so you can get yes. to it in a contiguous fashion and it will all make sense. And real quick, I wanted to tell you, uh, years ago, the first time I ever spoke to you, and this is why I mentioned it earlier, uh, this is like full circle, and I'm just exci- so excited to have had you on tonight. Uh, you and I spoke for the first time years ago on a good friend of mine's show named Jesse Randolph on Euphonaut Radio. And oh. ever since then, I've wanted to have you on my personal show, and now I finally See, happened. if you wait long enough, thank you. anything happens. And, <laughs> and obviously, if you invite me back, I may come back. Oh, you're the man. Thank you he so much, He didn't say sir. he will. He said he may. <laughs> That's all I need. It's Richard C. Hoagland, Alan. Come on. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for joining us tonight. All the callers, thank you so much for calling in. Keith Rowland, Lord Rowland, thank you for being there. Uh, Nancy Burns for all the tweeting. Everybody who uh, tweeted out, thank you guys so much. We'll be back next week with another fascinating episode of Sky Watchers Radio right here on the Dark Matter Digital Network and, of course, little old PSN Radio. Please stick around. More programming to come up next. And soon, very, very soon, next week, we'll be able to say, stay around. Art Bell is next. But not yet. That'll be next week. Good night, everybody. <laughs>